I want to share with you a little bit before we end our service from the Word of God. Wasn't those baptisms great? Praise God for His faithfulness, His love, His grace to us. And and one of the things I hope you notice throughout the uh, baptism testimonies, uh, how a person can be forgiven of their sins, but also changed by the gospel, the good news, whose name is Jesus. He is the gospel. He is the good news. Over the, over the past, over the next um, four weeks, or four months, I should say, our church family will be studying together a New Testament book called Galatians. So if, you're, if you don't have a church home, we want to invite you here to celebrate with us each and every Sunday morning as we celebrate the work of Jesus through the book of Galatians. We like to go through uh, book studies, expository preaching through books of the Bible. So if you don't have a church, please come and join us. Now, the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul less than 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means the Apostle Paul was alive and well during Jesus' earthly ministry. Paul may have even seen him, we don't know, but one thing we know, I think we can say for certain, is that he knew about Jesus' life and he knew about Jesus' death. In fact, Paul was on a mission. Paul was on a mission. Before he became a follower of Jesus, he would go around imprisoning and murdering followers of Christ, a modern-day terrorist. But something radically changed. He changed so much that he went from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ. And in Galatians chapter 1, in the first couple of verses... We have a clue of what that was all about. Look with me to Galatians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, if not, that's okay. We have it there on the screen. It says this. Hear the word of God, the infallible, inspired, authoritative word of God. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you remember last week, we said, we got into this book, we said that Paul uh, was, was jumping right into the book, talking about his apostolic authority and his calling as an apostle because it was in question to these churches. Some folks from Jerusalem had come from from Jerusalem to the cities of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and they had come after Paul had already been there, preached the gospel, people became Christians, church church was formed, multiple churches uh, uh, were birthed out of that preaching mission trip of Paul. And then people from Jerusalem started coming to those cities and declaring to them that in order to be a good Christian, you have to follow the laws of Moses. Add that to your faith in Christ and you can become a Christian. The problem was for the Gentiles, which are non-Jews, the problem was for them, it meant first that they all male adults had to be circumcised. The line wasn't very long. The false teachers were arguing that in order to be made right with God, what the Bible calls justified, you have to add rules, you've got to add regulations, and you have to adhere to some rituals. Now, it's very important that we understand what the word justified means. It's, it's, a, it's a very important biblical term, and it's very important if you want to understand the book of Galatians. The word justified or justification 
is a, is a two-sided coin, okay? So think of it this way. On the one side, to be justified, made right, it means to be forgiven. The, the, your, your penalty of your sin has been paid for, and now you are forgiven of your sins. On the other side of the coin, justification is when the application of righteousness is reckoned or, or counted, imputed to you. Because none of us have it. That's what justification means. And some were saying that in order to be justified, made right with God, forgiven, and applied righteousness, you have to work toward it. You have to perform. You have to adhere to rituals. And if you did that, you're good. God's good with you. God will forgive you. God will love you. God will bless you. Uh, and everything is good in God's eyes. And people still believe that today. There are many people who still believe that if you're a good person and you try to do the right thing most of the time, God will love you, God will accept you, God will receive you, and God will forgive you. Unfortunately, God's not impressed with our deeds and misdeeds. The scriptures declare that all of us have fallen short of God's glory, and God's required glory and righteousness we could never attain. And that sin, it's called sin, separates us from him, for he is holy, he is pure, and he will not and cannot embrace a knucklehead like me. And you, you're welcome. But we're, we're sinners, and he separates because he's perfect. He is holy. He is good. And because the message from the Jerusalem churches were, were undermining Paul, saying you need this to be a Christian, you need this to be saved, you need this to be justified, it made for a very angry apostle. The message was justified, made right by works, and Paul was preaching the gospel that we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone. He was so furious, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 8 and 9. He says, if anyone preaches another gospel, adds works to that gospel, verse 8 and 9, let them be damned, whether it's an angel, whether it's another apostle, whether it's me myself and I change my mind, let them be anathema, damned. So what exactly is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed and that the apostles preached? Look with me at these verses. A couple things. Verse 1, you have the resurrection. Number one. Number two, look at verse three, grace and peace. Verse four, there has to be a substitutionary sacrifice coupled with deliverance. We need deliverance, sacrifice and deliverance. And look at verse four, the plan, it is the plan and the will of God. And number five, it's all about glory. Look, look with me at verse five. To whom, to him be the glory forever and ever. And, and what's so interesting about this passage, I want you to see this this morning. What's so interesting is that most of the time when the gospel, the good news of Jesus is declared, the resurrection of Jesus is last, right? It usually comes up, I mean, it's not just an add-on, it is the exclamation point, the resurrection. But usually he died, he rose, he went to the grave, Paul writes in Romans 4, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He's dead, he went into the grave, and he rose from the dead, so why does Paul lead off sharing the good news of the gospel with the resurrection to the Galatians church? Why? Because in his defense of his apostolic authority to the churches of Galatia, Paul begins with his autobiography. How he came to faith. How he came to know Jesus. How he was commissioned and sent as an apostle. It came through the encounter of the risen Christ. That's how he met Jesus, alive and risen. Acts chapter 9. 
Paul is murdering and killing Christians. And he's on his road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. I like to think that Jesus knocked him off the horse, but you be that decision. And said to him, Saul, Saul, who's Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Paul says. He said, I'm Jesus. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So, so the churches in Galatia, who, where Paul's defending his apostolic authority, naturally will start with how he met Jesus on the road, the risen Christ. Now, Paul would never have believed that if not seen it with his own eyes. Paul the apostle was a highly regarded religious leader in the Jewish people. He was a Pharisee. He was a theologian. He believed that God is one. He was taught the Ten Commandments since he was a tiny little lad. I have no other God before him. No one you shall worship. And if you are caught worshiping a false God or some other God, it is blasphemy. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ just blew Paul's mind wide open. He had his whole worldview of who God was and who he was radically changed when he came face to face with the risen Lord of the universe. He had to get over himself. And sometimes we need to do that too. We have this God of our own perception, our own mind, our own thinking, who we believe God should be. He's only your imagination. He's just really you. Paul came to face to face or hand to face with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and it radically changed his life. And it's not just Paul. There are multiple eyewitness accounts of the risen Christ. Many. Over the course of many weeks, he was seen by many people, by women as well as men, as from you know, skeptics, unbelievers, to believers. They walk with him, they talk with him, and this united testimony says one thing, man, we saw him, we had food with him, we ate with him, we touched him. He has risen from the dead. That's why Paul went from a terrorist, terrorizing Christians, to preaching Christ, to, to killing Christians, to preaching Christ, to teaching about Christ. It was, it, it was proof to Paul when he's seen the risen Lord that Jesus had conquered the grave. There's now victory over sin. But that's, the, that's, the, that's the last part, right? I mean, the resurrection is because he died on the cross. He, he, he was raised from the dead. That, that was something that Paul had to see for his own self. But notice with me, the whole gospel message, this redeeming, rescuing, saving act of dying and rising and forgiving sin. Look what it says, first of all. It says this, that Jesus Christ gave himself. Jesus wasn't tricked. Jesus wasn't deceived. Jesus wasn't coerced. Jesus went willingly to the cross. And even though the Romans, even though the Gentiles, and even though the Jews had their hand in it, and they all could maybe say, we did this, that's not what it says. They were not the driving force. It says he went willingly to the hill of Calvary. No one took the life of Jesus. He freely gave it away. He said in John 10, I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. John 2. Jesus willingly gave his life. Look what it says next. For, that's the purpose, for our sins. On the cross, this transaction took place. We were the ones who deserved to die 
for we owe God an infinite debt for our sin, but Christ takes our place. He becomes our substitute. He became our sin offering. All our sins, past, present, and future, were laid upon him, and he died to pay that debt for us. And the cross is not just a sacrifice. The cross is an actual, real atonement for sin. Remember, we said that justification has to do with being forgiven. Here's the the substitutionary atonement, satisfying God's justice against evil and sin, and now the ability to forgive us. What was impossible to do, pay for your sins, work hard, follow the law, uh, do your ritual, what was impossible to do to pay your own sin was made possible by the giving of himself on the cross. Scripture says the one who knew no sin became our sin offering. He gave himself. And look what else he did. He delivered us from the present age. When you, when you think of the evil age, don't think right away like Halloween or Exorcist or some other movies because if that was happening, you'd be ringing my phone every day, okay? Although, although the gospel is real rescue from real evil, This is talking about systems and nations and peoples and cultures and communities and organizations that neglect God, hate God, and do do not want to honor God. You read about it in the news yesterday, well, this morning. The bombings south of India. Crazy. Evil. And that's what this world is about. This world is about uh, war and murder and oppression and slavery and abortion and killing. And Jesus not only died on the cross, but his death also brings us into a new age, a new community, a new people. And what Paul is making clear is that not only are we forgiven of our sins, not only are we rescued from the penalty of sin, but we have been given and transferred into a new age, into to the time which Christ will come. We have that absolute assurance, and now we are to live in new life, like all the baptisms. All the Baptists talk about, I was this way, I was doing this, this was what was going on, this is what I was trapped in, and, and you know what, I, I, I finally came to the end of myself, and I turned, and now I'm walking in new life. Am I walking it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I'm going in a different direction. I know the joy and love and peace of Christ. And look what it says, according to what? To the will of God our Father. The execution of Christ was not an unanticipated disaster, a meager coincidence, or accident. It was the plan of God to save sinners like you and me. The Apostle Peter said to the men who nailed Christ to the cross soon after the resurrection, he said this, This Jesus, the one you nailed to the cross, the one that died on Calvary's hill, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Chapter 2 of Acts. The willingness of the Son was in response to the Father's will. Listen, on the cross, on the cross, Jesus died, and that plan of salvation was in the heart and mind of God from eternity. It demonstrates the love of God as well as the love of Christ. Some people will teach you falsely that the God of the Old Testament, you know, he's just an angry man, or an angry God, I should say, who's just anger and wrath, and then we didn't really know God's love until Jesus showed up. Not true. This was the Father's plan. Dr. Phil Reichen writes this, The Father does not love us because the Son died for us. Rather, the Son died for us because the Father loves us. The cross had its origin in the Father's heart, end quote. But lastly, but really first, what's it for? It's for the glory of God. For the glory of God. 
So the good news is this. Now listen up. Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead, gave himself voluntary for our sins to rescue us from sin, death, and evil. According to who? The will of the Father. Nowhere in all that does it say anything you can do. Right? That you can help him some, somehow, some way, come along God and work with him towards salvation. No, not one shred of that gospel message to say anything about law and ritual and helping God with salvation. Look at me. I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. God's going to love me. That's religion. That's not the gospel. Religion is I obey. Religion is I'll do. Religion is I'll come to church. Religion is I'll read my Bible. Religion is I'll pray, I'll give, and then God will love me and accept me and forgive me and everything is good. That's religion. The gospel is God loves me and accepts me and forgives me because of Jesus Christ alone. And therefore, I'll read my Bible and go to church. Did you get that mixed up? You got a problem. It's for his glory. The good news does not contain a single word about anything we do but declares all what God has done for us. The Father and the Son accomplishing our salvation. Together, the Holy Spirit applies that truth to our hearts. And what happens? Verse 5, all glory goes to Him. If salvation is a work from the beginning to the end of God, then all honor and majesty belongs to Him. He gets the glory. We get the joy. He provides the salvation. We give Him praise. Don't, 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 don't. Please don't make the stupid trade-off of exchanging the glory of the gospel, the incalculable worth and and infinite value and satisfaction of Christ for some false gospel that will never, ever, ever bring you joy, that will never, ever bring you life. What's your treasure? What are you running to? What do you hold as singularly most important in your life? It must be the glory of God because of who he is and all that he has provided God has done that. What flows from us? All the glory goes to God. What comes to us from him? Look what it says, lastly. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, God's unmerited love, his unmerited favor to undeserving sinners like you and I. Grace is what we need. It's the heart of the gospel. God took on humanity. His name is Jesus, yet he was without sin. And after he lived this perfect life that you will never live, died to death as your substitute on the cross, a death you should have died, he bears the penalty for our sins. The judgment, the wrath against sin, because God is holy, falls upon Jesus on Calvary's hill. Three days later, risen from the dead, conquering sin, death and hell. And and family, listen, the resurrection is proof that the sacrifice was accepted God's justice has been satisfied. And when you place your faith in Christ, what he has done for you, your sins are forgiven. And the righteousness of Christ that you could never live, that perfect life is now imputed to you. It's now counted to your account. And in that moment of genuine faith, you are justified in the right with God, reconciled with God. And then, only then can there be peace. Paul writes in Romans 5, having been justified by faith, Christ's work of salvation, imputed righteousness. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. While we were enemies, we're reconciled to God through the death of his son. We were enemies. We were reconciled now to Christ. Paul came to know God. Paul came to have a relationship with God when he came face to face with the risen Christ and the empty tomb. Now, Now, 
Let me give you a chance to respond. But now, some of you here this morning do not have a relationship with God. Why? You have not admitted your sin. You have not yet yielded your life to God. You not have yet trusted and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is calling to you this morning to respond. To respond. No one has their sins forgiven me right with God by listening to the gospel. You need to respond to the message of repentance, turning from sin and turning to God, and faith in Christ this morning. What God wants from us this morning, and God wants from you this morning, is to humble yourself and submit to him and ask him to open your heart by the Holy Spirit and show you your sin and yet show you how much he loves you. To show you the Savior who gave himself up for you on the cross, who took judgment and wrath as your substitute so that you can be forgiven. Embrace the gospel this morning. Turn from being your own Savior, your own Lord, trying to justify yourself. Christ is alive. The tomb is empty. He died and rose again that you can have forgiveness of sins. And if God is calling you this morning, decide this morning, respond this morning by trusting and yielding to Christ. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that right in your seat. We're not going to play kind of music and twist everything. We're just going to say, respond to Jesus. He's alive. He's calling you to confess your sins and turn to him and he will forgive you of your sins. We're going to put up a, a, a number for you to call, but in the moment, let's just, let's just bow our heads just for a moment, quietly before God, put that curtain around your heart. And Father, I want to pray for everyone right now that the message of the gospel will fall on good soil, that you, O oh Lord, would open up our hearts and minds, that you would give us ears and new hearts to respond. I pray that you would grant salvation to those who do not have it this morning. I pray that you allow them to submit and surrender fully to you. And now it all, everyone's bowed in prayer. If you've never responded, now's the time to respond. In your own words, confess your sin, acknowledge your need for a Savior, trust in Jesus as the only sacrifice so that your sins can be forgiven and you can have relationship with God. Father, thank you. We praise you. you. You are our God. We thank you for the salvation you have provided in Christ. We pray, Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes and minds to see the incalculable worth of Jesus, all that he has done for us on the cross of Calvary, that we may run to you, worship you, praise you for who you are and all that you've done in our salvation. And we pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ, you could just text this number. Just text, I trusted Jesus, 31996. It's going to be up there during the next song. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage you. We want to, we want to hear from you. And you could just text that on your phone. We'll get the message and we'll get a hold of you. As the song is being sung, as we're continuing to worship, as we close our service together, the number will be up there. Just text, I trusted Jesus. To 31996, and we'll get a hold of you. Praise God. And I'm praying for all of you as we celebrate the risen Lord and Savior. Amen.